to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Good to see you guys. Hello, hello. It is, uh, is it a holiday weekend? Oh yeah, I guess it technically is. Is it Labor Day? Yep. Or no, Memorial Day, huh? Yeah. I never, I can never remember. Yeah. I feel like they should, they could condense those two into one. <laughs> well, one's for soldiers and one's for work. That's true. And we don't labor on Labor Day. I'll be dadding on Labor Day, so that'll be cool. The most important job of all. Yep. The hardest job you'll mm-hmm. ever love. Um, well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here and good afternoon to some of you who are in different areas of the, of the country. It's 11 o'clock and you know what that means? It's time for revolution. Life just keeps being crazier and crazier, man. I just, life is disillusioning sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, tough, but I'm going to try to stay focused today. I'm not going to try to get sidetracked by everything that's going on in my head. So yeah, a lot going on in the world. Um, Politics are insane as usual. Mm -hmm. And um, the world is insane. Um, It's tough. It's tough that we're having to become so numb to so much horrificness in this world. Today is a a talk that's something that's very important to me, and I think it's vital for the church. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul today. And I don't know what happened I think there was an article about Apostle Paul. I don't know. I saw a lot of Christians talking about Christian Twitter, I guess, Mm. is what they call it. Or progressive Christian Twitter is probably what I see. I don't, I mean, I see some conservative stuff, but usually it's some other person saying why they don't like it. Um, Talking about the Apostle Paul. And I was amazed by how many people. I guess I wasn't amazed, but I, I just haven't been in the church culture, I guess, for a long time. Um, how many people were really, really turned off by the Apostle Paul? Mm. And so I needed to take, a, uh, you know, I found it disheartening, and I, I saw some theologians chime in, and they weren't very encouraging about Paul either, about the Apostle mm-hmm. Paul. And so I was a little bit upset and perturbed by that because Paul to me is is extremely important. I am Paulinian through and through in, in what I teach and, and my work and my thinking. So, so it's important to me. And I wrote a book, and I'm going to actually read from that book today, Faith, Doubt, uh, that I wrote with my friend uh, Andy. And uh, we're going to – he was my, my – co-writer, my ghostwriter, but I don't have ghostwriters because I have dyslexia, so I want people to know that that you too can write books. Andy Meisenheimer, so he's a really cool guy. And um, But anyway, yeah, so I wanted to talk about the Apostle Paul because I, I, I really do firmly believe, like, you know, when the Reformation happened with Luther... It was inspired by Galatians. It was inspired by the Apostle Paul. And um, and I don't believe, like, I think if we want another 
type of reformation in the church, I honestly don't think it can happen without the influence of the Apostle Paul. And so, and, and I think that might be why we are becoming stale and stagnant and not moving forward. And I'm going to get into that a little bit about why that is. Um, so I believe Paul is vital for Reformation. And there's two, two types of Pauls we need to talk about. And I'm trying to figure out which way I want to go first. But you know what? I think what I'm going to do first is, is, is usually the big question uh, about Paul is, is Paul heterosexist? Is Paul, or what people say, homophobia? I don't like the word homophobia because it means you're scared of gay people. Heterosexist means that you think being straight is somehow superior. So I think heterosexist is just actually the real word, um, mm. but we got to use homophobia more. Um, but anyway, so that's just me being a weirdo. But heterosexist, was Paul a heterosexist? And that's a good question because I think that's what a lot of one of the things that a lot of people don't like about Paul is that they think you know he was he he he's the anti-gay guy, mm. uh, and that's because of Romans one. Right. So really quickly, I just wanted to go through that and kind of clarify uh, Romans one. And I wasn't going to read it, but I do have my Bible here, so let me. I'll just have it open in case we decide to look at it. Um, Oh, there you are, Romans. And it's so funny is people always like Romans, you know, go through Romans 1 and, 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 uh, but they always forget Romans 2 as well because Romans 2 kind of sets that whole, Romans 1 is kind of also a setup for us to be judgmental and then to be like, oh, how judgmental are you? You know what mm. I mean? He, he turns it on us in two as well. Um, but I, I think it's there where he says, you know, in, in, in Romans one twenty four, therefore God gave them up to their lust and their hearts of impurity, and they exchanged truth for lies, and uh, the truth about God for lies, and worshipped and served creatures rather than the Creator, who blessed forever and ever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the disgrading passion. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, in the same way also men giving natural intercourse. With women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received their own persons and the due penalty for their error. Now, if you don't study Greek, Hebrew, and biblical history, you wouldn't know that the due penalty actually talks about life force. And what it means is life force is that they thought semen was what held life. And the due penalty was the loss of this life force. Mm. Um. Also, Paul is talking about a very particular issue here, which is which is 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 interesting because he starts off with saying, um, "Therefore, God gave them up because they exchanged truth; uh, they served creation rather than Creator, um, creatures rather than Creator, and, and some say winged things and things like that, but." Paul is talking about a very particular other gods. Paul, Paul is talking about uh, worship to other gods, gods that he did not think. So if anything you want to say Paul is, is maybe you could say Paul was being a Christian supremacist when he said this. And that's, that's not great either, but that's what I'm going to tell you. That would be the closest you could get to that. Because these gods he's talking about are fertility gods. And the form of worship 
that you would have to these fertility gods would be having sex with people of the same sex um, or sacrificing your firstborn or uh, even creating baked goods that looked like penises and vaginas and putting them in front of the, uh, the wherever the, the temple that they worshipped at. Um, these are gods that you can actually Google and find. I mean, his explanations, you know, and you can see statues of them. I used to have, I used to buy just uh, books from, you know, school books. And uh, they had pictures in them, you know, of these gods, mm. of all these different fertility gods when I would buy books that most people study in college. They're Roman gods? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. They, were all, they were Greek gods, Roman, all different gods. Okay. And so they would worship these fertility gods. So when Paul is talking about this, also you have to remember that Paul's concept of sexuality is de- very different than our concepts of sexuality, than our 19th century concepts of sexuality. You know, he didn't have Freud. He didn't have all these other people. So right. sexuality was seen different in Greece. It was seen different in Rome. And sexuality wasn't necessarily a concept that a lot of people were talking about. And I know we find that to be bizarre and absurd. It's like when you talk about um, <clears throat> when you talk about uh, uh, what's the what's the one I'm thinking about? Um, you think like theism before? No, no. I, I just like when we think about uh, earning money and things like that. A capitalism. When we think about oh, capitalism. Sure. Capitalism seems like this very natural thing, right. not a concept that somebody came in with. It just seems like, well, this just makes sense. You mm-hmm. give something, you get something, you do this, you know. Right. But it's actually something that was developed, and the concept of sexuality was also something mm-hmm. that was developed. Now, people will say this is a liberal understanding, but for me, when I went through this, I was going it through in a very legalistic way of studying this when I was in my 20s to really understand what this meant, to really understand the history, to really understand the background. Um, I mean, the law in Rome was, is if you were penetrated by another man, you were not considered a man. Mm. Um, and so legally, you were not supposed to be penetrated. So their ideas of sexuality were really different. Uh, Paul is also talking about temple priests who would take boys in and often sleep with young boys. Mm. So this is, Paul is talking about sex in the form of worship to other deities. Mm -hmm. And he is talking about religious people using their power in order to have sex with children. And this is, this is what it is. I didn't make up the rules. I know it sounds like it, but you know, homosexuality as some people like, I don't like that word because I've heard it used so in such a mean way, Mm -hmm. but this was not seen as a concept of people in a relationship who loved and cared about each other. This was not an intimate relationship. Um, So this is not what Paul's talking about. Now, did Paul have something against that? We'll never know. Because that wasn't the concept. That wasn't the ideas there. This was something that he thought, these people are doing something that is not natural to them. They're wasting life seed. Mm -hmm. They didn't even want you to masturbate. Um, You know, they, they are... You know, having sex in order to worship these gods. So that's all it was. So there you go. That that that's Romans one. Um, I could get in deeper to it, but I have a lot to cover today, and we might, if, if you guys request it, we could do that. Um, we could go through all the clobber scriptures one day because we don't have all the old sermons recorded anymore because we lost them somewhere in the yeah. sea of uh, the internet. Um. All right. So then we've got we've got this. So when we're trying to. To, to to rethink Paul a little bit. This is this is the big one. 
here is, and I wrote about it in my book, Faith and Doubt. I actually don't have the, I have a one without the cover on it. So you can look it up online if you want this book, but I, I drew on mine. <laughs> um, like but this is the one I used to just talk from and do readings from. Um, but I wrote about this in Faith and Doubt because I, I feel like Paul is such an important person. Um, and maybe you guys have heard me like joke about the pastoral epistles or talk about how I don't like the pastoral epistles. Um, a lot of people who reject Paul and we're talking about a lot of Christians, and we're talking mm-hmm. about a lot of mostly progressive Christians, not conservative mm-hmm. Christians. Conservatives often love him. I mean, New Calvinists love Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they misuse Paul in a really horrible way. Um, but, but we're talking about a lot of progressives here and, and, and liberal Christians who like, ah, oh, I don't listen, I don't read Paul. I mean, I even said something about this book the other day on social media, and people are like, yeah, I've always ignored Paul. I've never felt comfortable. Maybe I'll take a look at it. Um, and what's hard for me is like when I was seeing people talk about Paul on social media, because that's really the only interaction I have with humans right now, um, I was so surprised that that these like people who are theologians who have doctorates in theology, I don't have a doctorate in theology, were not saying like, oh, well, you have to look at Paul this way. Or they weren't saying like, well, that's, uh, that's not the complete truth about Paul. No one was correcting that. You know, they were saying, well, I like this little bit about Paul, or I like this part where Paul is quoted outside of the Bible in this other Greek philosopher's book. Or, you know, and now Paul now is being read in the past 10 years has been, been read by, even maybe the past more than 10 years, but has been included in a lot of philosophy. And a lot of philosophers consider the Apostle Paul as a really great philosopher. Mm. Um, even that. some yeah. analysts have said that Paul's description, I think it's Romans 8, about doing what I want to, but I don't, and I do that, is really talking about the unconscious and that Paul had a good, good look. So Paul was not a dumb human being. Mm. And Paul was not a monster. Um, so there's two Pauls. Well, there's actually three Pauls, um, but we're only going to talk about two of them today. And what we have in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus is what uh, some scholars call reactionary Paul. Um, is 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 what they call. Him. I'm going to read a little bit from my book, and then we'll talk about it. So hold on, I get to read. That's always fun. Um, the pastoral epistles, as they are called, reflect a significant shift in vocabulary for Paul. They reflect a second or third generation Christian thinking, of course. Paul was dead by this time. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, when his voc- Paul's vocabulary in the, the epistles, in the, in the pastoral epistles, is, is way ahead of its time. The vocabulary he's using is something that would not have been there for quite like, 20, 30 years yet. And so that's one of the reasons pastoral epistles are looked at with suspicion. It, more than suspicion. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm trying to build up, create some tension. Um, they reflect second or third generation Christian thinking, of course. Paul was dead by this time. They contradict Paul's message of equality. They introduce church hierarchy and politics, some things no other epistle even hints at. Some think they represent 
the Romanization of Christianity, where the correct order of society preserved is preserved instead of broken down like the authentic Paul advocates. So Paul wants the breaking down of society, of, of hierarchy and different levels like this, as you, if you've heard me go through Galatians. If we're taking the Bible seriously and literally, then we have to consider the idea that Paul did not write these letters, but that someone else, perhaps with some authentic writings of Paul in front of them, or perhaps not, wrote them. What is even more fascinating is that the pastoral epistles were most likely written because people were taking what Paul and Jesus' message of equality seriously. Paul says that Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female. This is why people reacted against it in their book. And they, so this is like everything I've, we talk about in Galatians, some of the heaviest points in Galatians, all of a sudden Paul changes. So what does this reactionary Paul do? You know, suddenly Paul is saying that women can't teach, speak, or even talk in the service, but they are, through childbirth, they will be slave, I mean, saved. Slaves should obey their masters. Authorities should be structured and respected. Um, so, so this thing is, is that these, you know, these categories that weren't being, were being added to Christianity, the structure was being added to Christianity mm. by whoever was writing the pastoral epistles. Um, I, 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 I can recommend, there's another book called, uh, and I can't remember the writer right now. I'm sure the book is around here somewhere. Uh, maybe add it later, but, um, what's, what, I can't even remember the title right now. What's wrong with the pastoral epistles or what the pastoral epistles, pastoral epistles get wrong or something. I can't remember the pastoral epistles. It might be called, I don't know. I'll have to look over it later. Um, I had to, you know, I had to get books, I had to ask, I had to contact libraries in different states and ask them to copy pages of books for me to send them to me for me to do this study um, on Paul. Because um, some of these are like history books. Some of these books are written in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Wow. And, you know, so they're not in print anymore. And you can't basically be like, hey, I'm in New York. Can you guys send me your book? I right. just want to write it out. Um, So you have all of a sudden you have these pastoral epistles that are written by and believed by scholars to be written by the same person. So all three of those books have the same thread going through them. And then it was literally someone who said, I'm going to sit down and bring structure and order. Now, this is often a reaction to grace. Mm -hmm. um, this is often why we want an asterisk by grace. And when I say grace is anarchy, I really mean it. When Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, he's saying there is no longer hierarchy, and there's no male nor female. There's even, and that was a big thing of Rome. We just talked about in Rome, the sexual identity was women had very little worth. The only reason men even slept with women half the time was to have a child. Mm. Um, so this is the type of thing that's going on, because their scene is so worthless. And Paul's saying, no, we're all equal. We're not worthless, or we're not more important. We're all equal mm. in this faith. Then all of a sudden, he's saying women are saved through childbirth right. and the pastoral epistles. So the thing is, is we have to realize, and I wish people weren't afraid to teach this, is that 
there are forgeries in the collection of the books in the Bible. Mm. And I will go as far as say, it's not just Paul, Paul's books. There's some other books, but we're not going to cover that today because today we're talking about Paul. Um, you know, proper theologians and as well as, as, as trained pastors should have told us about this. This should be common knowledge. And often I've, I've sat in seminaries and schools like this, and I've talked about it with different folks, male, female, everybody, <clears throat> we've had these conversations. Some of them have been like, well, don't you think we can, you know, we can still mine things out of there? And I'm like, no, no, they're forgeries. Well, Jay, you don't understand is that, you know, back in, in biblical days, you could write under someone else's name, right. you know, and that's the big argument. But mm-hmm. when you look into that, it's not as black and white as it seems. It's like, oh, okay, so we'll just accept it as Paul, you know. No, it wasn't Paul. It was someone who was literally reacting to Paul, hence the title Reactionary Paul. Um, I like to call him not Paul, <laughs> is what I like to call him. Um, it's just a different Paul. It's Reactionary Paul. No, it's, it's not Paul. <laughs> it's not Paul. Um, so when we say reactionary Paul, what that means is not Paul. Um, I, I one time talked to a pastor friend of mine who had went to seminary and he said, well, don't you think just Paul maybe just got, became grumpy as he became older mm-hmm. and in his older age, he became kind of mean. And I'm like, no, I mean, this guy, you watch his books, you watch him in Romans and you watch him go from grace to law to grace to law, mm-hmm. you know, and struggle. Mm-hmm. That's why I like about Galatians is because you see him come straight through with grace, mm-hmm. but you see this guy who knows his audience in his seems to be fighting as a communicator. I think this, he seems to be struggling with the idea of not completely alienating an audience, but also trying to tell them the truth. Mm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you read the pastoral epistles, when you read first Timothy and second Timothy, you see someone who's not afraid to alienate with the law. You see someone who's a lot more along the lines of James. And as we know, Paul did not see eye to eye with James. Um, we've seen that Paul did not see eye to eye with Peter at times. Right. Um, because Paul was so radically believed in the message of grace mm-hmm. and so believed in the radical message that we don't have any identity structures mm-hmm. that separate us because of Christ. Um, that was hard to take, and it's still hard to take. I, I talk about that when I go do that verse in Galatians. It used to be conservatives would push back on me because they'd be like, well, no, God's created each person with this plan and male and female. And I'm like, no, this is what Paul says. You know, and now I deal with it from, from a more my, my, my progressive friends saying, well, Jay, no, identity, blah, blah, blah. It's important that this one. I'm like, okay, I am trying to explain to you though what Paul was saying to us. You know, I follow a religion called Christianity. I'm Paulinian. And so what I'm trying to do is like, Paul wanted us to see each other as humans. Now, if you want to disagree with Paul, I'm going to let you know right now, that's fine. Paul even made it clear. He said, God shows no favor to men. Right. Mm-hmm. So Paul doesn't have an intra- a hard time with you disagreeing with him. You know, um, that's another thing is a lot of people have always taught, like, you can't disagree with the Bible and you can't do that. You know, and you can't, oh, Paul, the Bible says that it must be true. It's like, no, you wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the true things. Um, so not many talk about this. And that's why I was I was surprised to not see like and I didn't want to get in the fight because honestly, I feel like the church is so I put my book up there because I thought that's the best I could do because I just don't want to get into these like 180 character arguments that seem to be so fruitless about the apostle Paul and I don't know if I feel like my fights in the church anymore. Mm. Um 
I want to see the church reform. I want to see the church better. But it's become so toxic and it's become so judgmental on both sides that it, it makes me extremely uncomfortable to be there. And, and it's very hard to teach and it's very hard to, to do that. So I, I'm trying to teach here and, and we have pushback at the end if people want to push back or talk about it. You know, and I feel like this is the best avenue uh, for that, you know. Um, so you got to say, why? What's at stake? Well, what's at stake is a faith of people living in grace, people living in freedom, people living and realizing that they have to learn to live with lack, people learning that prohibition doesn't rule the day, mm. um, that laws and rules aren't the main goal. And I, growing up, I thought you served Jesus so you could be a better person. Um, but what I didn't realize is that you find acceptance and you're transformed mm. and something happens there through that pure acceptance, but not by the law, mm-hmm. not by giving rules, right. not by regulations, not the new law, not the old law, because we have created a brand new law in mm. Christianity that Paul also rejected. So what's at stake? Loss of control, loss of hierarchy in the church, a lot of things that people don't like about the church. So now we start to see why people don't like Paul. So we see people who are cherry picking the Bible, but guess what? Paul cherry picked the Bible. Mm. Jesus, Jesus cherry picked. You know, we come from a long line of cherry pickers. Everybody does, and so I, I'm not against cherry picking. I'm not going to say that. I, you know, I think it's important that we're able to discuss the whole thing. But there's going to be certain things that we lean towards and that we pull back from. Um, and, and I feel like you have to use a certain lens. And I use a Paulinian lens when I read. I will tell you this. I did not understand grace most of my life, and I had read every gospel, mm-hmm. and I had read Proverbs and Psalms. Those are the only things mm-hmm. I'd ever read. And I thought God hated me. It wasn't until I read what the Apostle Paul said about grace that my life was transformed. And I've had people be like, well, do you worship Paul? Do you worship grace? And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, no, I'm saying that Paul built off of something, saw something in Christ that I didn't see, and I caught it, and that's why I follow Christ. So, yes, I worship grace. Mm-hmm. Oh, grace, grace. I don't know. It's not even an object or a thing. That's what's so great about it. You can't, you can't put an asterisk because it's not there, but it's complete anarchy because it accepts and includes everyone, and it's so radical, and it, it's such a weird thing. It's kind of a communist vibe, and we're all afraid of it, and obviously enough for the pastoral epistles to be made 30 years later after Paul's death to try to correct and tighten up Paul's message. Like, we'll still leave that there, but we'll tighten it up a little Mm. bit. And um, so I want you all to just try to say this out loud is that the pastoral epistles are forgeries. Say that out loud to yourself. (laughs) Get used to that word forgeries. It's so uncomfortable. And most theologians don't want to say it. But this doesn't come just from like biblical theologians too. This comes from like history, people who study history. There's people who've done mathematics mm. on those books, comparing the mathematical lines. I don't even know what that means, barely, to compare the mathematical combinations of Paul's writings and say, it doesn't add up. Mm. His, his language doesn't add the up. Vocabulary. His vocabulary doesn't add up. I mean, so it's, it's literally just, you know, mm-hmm. there. You know, and if you want to get a good book, to, there's a simpler book to understand this in. Um, besides, well, my book's much simpler than that book, but my book's pretty simple to understand it in faith and faith doubt. Um, and then a lot of people don't like Bart Ehrman. 
because mm. he's he used to be a Christian. He's not a Christian. A lot anymore. of Christians don't like him. Yeah. Um, I really like Bart Ehrman. I think he's smart, mm-hmm. and I don't like everything he writes. But I like like this. There's a book called Forged that covers this a lot too. And the thing is, is you can go to the back of the book and see all of who he's reading. So you don't have to just read him. You can check up what, who he's reading and who he's studying. So you know you realize it's not just some guy who used to be a Christian, but you know he's actually reading historical documents. And so you can check those out. So this book's not a bad book either. And I might read something from it, actually. Let's see. Did I write something? Um, yeah. Let's look at this. The first, let's look at this part about Bart Ehrman's book from Forged. He talks about... Um, the first scholarly suspicions, suspicions about the letters. These three letters are particularly significant for our discussion because they were the first books of Paul that, in history of modern scholarship, were extensively argued to be forgeries. The big moment came in 1807 with the publication of a letter by the German scholar Frederick Schumacher. Schumacher was one of the most important Christian theologians of the 19th century. He was famous for defending the Christian faith against cultured despisers and for developing distinct theological views that influenced theologians well into the 20th century. So we're talking about a theologian here. We're not talking about ex-Christian, angry, I'm going to destroy Christianity. We're talking about a a very, very proper theologian here. There are still scholars today who specialize in studying the works and teachings of Schumacher among his many writings is an open letter sent to a pastor in 1807 in which he tried to demonstrate that 1 Timothy was not written by Paul. Schumacher argued that 1 Timothy used words and developed ideas that were at odds with those and mm-hmm. other letters of Paul, mm-hmm. including 2 Timothy and Titus. Moreover, the false teachings attacked in the letter do not sound anything like we know about from Paul's day. Mm-hmm. Instead, they sound like heresies of the second century, generally called Gnostics. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I'm sharing all this with you because I want you to reclaim Paul. You know, you can staple up the pastoral epistles because if you rip them out your bible will fall apart (laughs) but i want i want to reclaim paul because i think it's important i'm going to go as far as to say that i think a lot of the lack of grace that i've seen recently in the progressive movement has to do with rejection of paul Mm. with not reading paul's letters because of because mostly of the pastoral epistles and because of Romans 1, they've been rejected. And unfortunately, we've lost some of the greatest writings of Christianity and the most important writings on grace in the Bible. And maybe the most important writings on the concept of grace ever written. So do you see the problem here? Is that you can't have a true reformation without grace. You can't have true change without grace. Um, I mean, that's why Martin Luther King And all of his work continued to show grace towards his enemies and towards those he was working with. It was this constant concept of you have to have grace. So Paul's influence on the great thinkers of our time, the revolutionaries of our time, the reformers of our time, was grace. Grace was that. You know, Paul, I mean, Martin Luther, the reformist, didn't reform because he read the pastoral epistles. (laughs) He reformed the church because he read the book of Galatians. 
And so there's these, 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 and, and what's very interesting too, is if you study like first, I think it's in first Corinthians or second Corinthians, there's a, um, there's a whole section that you can tell was added as well when you do a deeper study because it just comes out of nowhere, all these rules and regulations. It's strange if we look at the Bible to see things that were added later. Now, for me, when I first started to study this and realize that these were forgeries, I thought, everybody was like, oh, that's heresy, Jay. And I went, no, it's good news. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, point. it's taking all these horrific things that I've seen used against women and all these different people yeah. and, uh, to support the hierarchy in the church that's been tearing us apart for thousands of years, yeah. you know, and gone like, it's, it's better news. It's not worse. Right. It's better. I mean, it makes the new Testament a little smaller, but it's still, it's, it makes the, it actually makes it bigger. Yeah. Right. Wow. Mm. You know, it actually widens Great point. inclusion mm-hmm. It widens it all. And, uh, it makes us see Jesus in a much clearer, crystal clear way. Mm. Um, and, and Paul still struggles with the law. So you'll have that in there. You don't have to give that up. But those things that are said about women aren't Paul. The things that are church hierarchy and how we're supposed to be and act as we're pastors and things like that. You know, people write leadership books based on that. They're writing leadership books based on some guy who thought Paul didn't do enough. Mm. And probably out of a good heart was like, we've got to add some order here or that we're going to not have a good religion. But the fact is, is a lot of churches, leadership, a lot of church, a lot of your bad experiences are based on forgeries. Mm. And slaves obey your masters. That's yeah. not a fun one either. Yeah, sla- yeah. yeah, slaves obey your masters. You know, mm-hmm. there's neither slave nor free. Right, Paul says. Yeah, you know, and that's a direct clash right there. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. slaves, you know, do what they say and do it joyfully. Mm-hmm. We've got something going on here, and I know for some of you, you're thinking I'm a heretic, and that's fine. You've got Google. Google it, search it, study it for yourself. Come up with this. But I'm here to say that I feel like this is why the progressive church is missing something. This is why the left, the liberal church that I've loved so much in my life, I feel like has become less graceful over the past few years. Maybe the past five or 10 years has really mm. seemed to become more edgy and more angry and more hurtful and more, you know, we're this way and you're that way. And, mm-hmm. and you got to be like us or you got to be, you know, like, yeah. they're, they're pull, you know, and because it's when you throw out Paul, because you've got to realize Paul built on what Jesus did. Like Jesus struggled with inclusion of Gentiles at particular times when that woman comes at the table and asks, you know, for something. And he goes, why would I give to the, you know, what's meant for the people to the dogs? You know, he calls her a dog Mm -hmm. and she goes, even dogs get crumbs from the table, Mm -hmm. you know? So this is something that Jesus had to be led to repentance for that moment. Okay. So yes, Jesus repented. That's it's there. And people always say, oh, I think he was just doing a setup. It was a cool setup. So he could, you know, I'm like, mm. okay, yeah, Jesus was, you know, like a professional speaker setup guy. Um, he was like, are you guys writing this down? You guys write this down? <laughs> yeah. Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> oh, okay. Your faith has made you whole. But he was trying to push her or something. Right, right, right. And as a rabbi, maybe that's, he could have been doing something, but mm. I don't think it was to prove a point. Um, cause rabbis often would reject people as well, but Jesus se- seemed to go up to like Matthew in the midst of tax collecting and say, Hey, come on, be my disciple. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't add up and line up with Jesus either, but you see that even Jesus struggled with that. And then luckily we have the woman at the well and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman caught in the midst of adultery actually is not found in the oldest, most transcripts of the Bible. I love that story, but it's not there either. So mm-hmm. here we'll throw out a good one too. All right. I didn't know that. Um, 
So we have a shallow understanding of grace because we're throwing out Paul and because others are holding on to that claiming is Paul. That is not Paul. They are holding on to not Paul. They are holding on to a forgery of Mm, Paul. mm -hmm. So we have a lack of understanding of what it is to be called a Christian, what we are to be a body of Christ. Um, We have less inclusion in the church because either Paul's being misused or being ignored. So I, I, I believe Paul's vital. Um, just like I believe there's other people in my life, like, oh, well, JR, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to be this Paul guy, but I am a Paul guy. I'm also a Hegel guy. I'm also a, you know, Grace guy. And, uh, you know, I, I like Pete Rollins too. And that guy saved my life a couple times. And, 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 and you know, um, Tony Jones saved my life a few times. You know I mean? These are guys I love. I sometimes disagree with, but I love, and they've helped me. You know what I mean? It's like, so Paul to me is alive in that way. Mm-hmm. Like he speaks from the grave. It's the same way my mother is alive to me today in a lot of different ways. Um, the hard truth is that Paul's inclusion came to another level of Christ. Even when we see Jesus struggle with it. Okay. That was just notes I was reading. Ironically, people will call this a liberal idea rather than a historical fact. So people will say this is liberal yeah, theology, right? and I will say this isn't a liberal theology that most liberals practice. This is not one I've ever heard in a liberal church nor a conservative church. I had to do my own studying to come to this. I had to go outside and read biblical stories. I had to take the Bible seriously. Right, right. As seriously as I was told to take it mm-hmm. in order to find this out. Yeah. And then I sit in a room with theologians who tell me, oh, yeah, we know that. And I'm going like, why aren't you talking about it more? Right. Well, you know, there might be something good to glean from. No, no, no. Do you see the destruction that it's done to people? Do you see the, 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 the opposite action that has occurred to the books of Galatians and these other books of grace and these books of message. I mean, do you see that the church has become, you know, very legalistic is literally setting up a brand new law that Paul's whole career seemed to be working to tear down. Mm -hmm. And now it's rebuilt under his name. Mm. You know, I have to imagine he wouldn't have been very happy about that with that speculation. Um, We talk so much about the truth for folks who fear it, or just simply ignore it. You know, um, we, we, we do a lot. Um, but ignoring Paul is not helping. Paul is not going away. And unfortunately, either is the, the imposter Paul. Mm-hmm. That will be something that we all have to struggle with and talk about and have these arguments about. I hope you'll you'll read some of the books I recommended. Um, Problem with the pastoral epistles, uh, the forged is good. Faith, doubt, my book is, is is okay on this. I'm sure there's many other. I know there's other books because I have a bunch of different ones. But these are things that people will look into, and this won't be the best kept secret of Christianity. You know that this is something that you'll hear on Sundays. That this is something that'll be talked about. I mean, too bad we can't decide to just have a new canon. Right. You know? um, I put letter to Birmingham jail from a Birmingham jail in there as well. <laughs> if we could have a new canon, which they really at one point tried to do, and I wish it would have worked. 
Um, but we don't have the group anymore. Nicaea too. Um, I believe it's actually doing us great damage and it's really doing a lot of damage to liberal Christianity and the progressive Christianity. You know, I, I believe we see people supporting, I think we see progressive Christians and, and liberal Christians supporting cancel culture because they don't know who Paul really is. I don't see if you really understand Paul's message and you read it and you read the nuances and you look at what he's saying and if you read the message in the words of Jesus, even if you read James, I don't see how you could support cancel culture. I just don't see how you can do that, to be honest with you. And that's not a political viewpoint for me. It's just saying grace doesn't cancel anyone out. Yeah. And it's not, you know, that's, this is one of a few times I'll say, I didn't make the rules. I don't like that when Christians say that. Well, it's, I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't make it up, man. It's yeah. God's word, not mine. Um, but man, I dig grace. And that's the only reason why I dig grace. You know what? Because one day I actually really, really need it. You know? And grace mm. is way bigger than anything we could cancel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I believe, is a failure of the church. And I truly believe, from my heart's of heart, Paul is the key to understanding grace. And we have to have that. We have to have Paul. Yeah. Um, Jesus helps us to see Paul, and Paul helps us to see Jesus. Yeah. And I have to have both of them. Mm-hmm. And shows us how to apply Christ even more yeah. radically. Well, I mean, otherwise I just have the, the, I just have like the Beatitudes to live by. Right. And I still love mm-hmm. my enemy as myself and God just as important love my enemy as myself. So that should kind of take, but I think like Paul just takes that and dissects it through his work Yeah. and, and tells us what that means. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's talk. I'm going to let, I'm going to, I was kind of tempted not to do, <laughs> talk just because I really wanted to do this talk and just be done. But let's have let's have a little bit of afterglow and 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 especially if you have pushback on it, I think that's good. So um, I, I want to try to answer your questions. But I also really want to encourage you is like when you see people talk about Paul, you know, maybe figure a way to strike up a conversation or maybe to talk about this. Or if you don't feel comfortable enough to do that, maybe study it and 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 talk about it. And, and let's try to figure out ways that we can replay, reclaim Paul's teachings uh, so we can better live a life of grace that shows grace and um, that I think is what the basis of, of what Christ's life was for us. Mm. Amen. So no pushback just yet specifically. No uh, questions, just some reactions here. I know that Christy had said that she um, used to not like Paul specifically because of the pastoral epistles and Romans. And I was in the same boat. Honestly, I didn't like Paul either, mainly because of like Romans and stuff like that. And then I was surprised to hear the first time I ever heard you talking on Galatians, you doing a series on Galatians. I was like, oh my goodness, Jay Baker, you know, is, is a, is a fan of Paul and is devoting an entire month or over a month to talking about it. And, and then, yeah, when I understood you kind of laying out, Oh, that stuff was, that's not the guy I'm talking about, you know, that's not included. Um, it was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. 
Uh, so you definitely op- you opened up my eyes. To I spent almost a year on, on Romans once at Revolution years ago really? in Atlanta. I don't think I've heard that. And um, that one was a tough one to do. Mm, yeah, I bet, really, man. It's just really like mountaintop valley, yeah. mountaintop valley. And mm-hmm. um, Paul's a bit all over the place because he's trying to keep Rome the right. government appeased uh, appeased as yeah. well when he's writing this book right? because he doesn't want to die right away. Um, it's very interesting, but it's always interesting to me that people always forget Romans too. Like, I mean, literally it does this whole setup about what horrible people, these people I am talking about. And then it goes, you're just as bad for judging them. Mm. I mean, it literally two when there was no two there originally, literally the letter is just a setup to be like, you're judging all these people who, you know, people have said were gay in the Mm. past. And I don't believe that. I believe he's talking about idol worship, Mm. but he's still saying you judge these people, but you're just as bad. Look at you. Look what Mm -hmm. you're doing for judging these people. So I was, I, I had a question for you. Do you think that if it were Paul in the pastoral epistles, would that be like a regression to his mindset as Saul a little bit, like to the legalism? I, it would have been a regression, but I honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm 99% sure it's not yeah, Paul. Yeah, I, I was just asking if, um, if Saul, when he was Saul, like before his conversion, if he was more like r- rule oriented and stuff you like know, that. I mean, I'm sure he was. He said he was the best and he followed the letter of the law better right. than anybody yes, knew. Yes, right, right, right. Okay. I am... Um, yeah, it's tough because I almost left the church because of that. I almost left. I almost stopped preaching because of of, of the fruits of the spirits verse in Galatians, until I realized that G- Paul was talking about he wasn't talking about going to heaven. He was talking about the fruits of the spirit. He mm. was talking about peace, patience, and kindness. He wasn't talking about heaven. And I thought, well, if drunkards can't go to heaven and gossips can't go to heaven, then I'm never going to get to heaven. Right. So I'm hopeless, you know, and it. I had to sit down with theologians and pastors and people, and we had discussions. And one day a pastor goes, Oh, Jay, look, it's right here. It lines up. I mean, it's in the book itself. And it mm. went, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ray asks a question for you here. He asks, Why do we need to defend the character of Paul rather than just say, I like these statements, I don't like those statements? Oh, you can. Yeah. But the problem is, is the majority of people are throwing out Paul altogether mm-hmm. because they think Paul. If, if he said that, then I'm not going to not listen to anything he said. Yeah, is like this complete controlling sexist dominant man who right. said, you know, there's neither male nor female now. Male, you know, you need to be married to have value. Men, mm-hmm. pastors need to get married, and you got to have kids, and your kids got to act right, and you've got to do all this stuff. And so the fact is, is for me, it's just telling the facts. Mm. Now, for me, there's things I Paul said that I don't agree with, and I'll be like, yeah, I don't agree with what Paul says. I agree mm. here, and I don't agree there. But for me, it's just saying like. A lot of the reason people are throwing Paul away yeah. is because of things that are claiming to be Paul that aren't Paul at all, that are right. complete forgeries, and that anybody who went to a, any type of decent you know, seminary or even Bible college probably know, and they're just too afraid to talk about because they've you know, that's why people sometimes leave the church and leave the, the faith when they go to seminary. Yeah. It's because they've been told the Bible is one uh-huh. way their whole oh, yeah. life. That happens so often. And they get to seminary so and then they realize that the Bible wasn't put together that way at all. And yeah. it's not what they were told and all this stuff. And they mm-hmm. get very disillusioned. And it's not that, you know, it's that they've been lied to. Right. They've been told a different story most of their life. Yeah. And so it's disillusioning. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, for me is what I'm trying to say is why don't we just confront the Bible for really what it is, that it's this imperfect collection of writings and some are not right and some are forgeries and mm. there are contradictions even within 
books right. themselves, yeah. single books, there's contradictions that we can embrace that and it's mm-hmm. okay and that there's grace there to do that. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to live in a world where I'm having to like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, my thing is, is here's the truth. You do what you want with it. You know, you can talk about it or you can just say, I disagree with them there, which hell yeah, I think that's a great sure. idea. Because I did that for a long time too. I was just like, I just don't know what to say about the pastoral epistles right. yet. You know, don't become a pastor. <laughs> so, so I guess to directly answer Ray's question, it's, you're, you're defending him. Is, is this fair? You're defending him just, just because people are saying, baby with the bathwater. If Paul says, if it's Paul in the pastoral epistles, then we throw all of Paul out. So then you're saying, yeah. no, 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 don't do that because that wasn't, you know, that's why you're defending Paul. Like I have musicians that I love that I don't agree with politically. Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. Know? Yes. And mm-hmm. I'll talk and... I've read their autobiographies and I've read their work and I love their work and I love their stuff and I will defend them and I'll even defend their right to believe differently than I do. Sure. You know? Um, And so I guess, you know, but if, if there was an album out under their name or there was a statement that came out under their name that wasn't them that claimed to be them, I would want to make that clear too. And I'd want someone to do that for me. You know, if someone's like, I heard Jay Baker said that, you know, I don't know, Pete, for example, Pete Rollins, me, are, and Helen Rollins are working on a documentary about my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, he just announced it. I, we hadn't announced it yet. He just announced it on his PeteRollins.com, and I put it on Jay Baker uh, Facebook. Um, but somebody was like, you know, oh, your mother was super homophobic and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you don't know my mother at all. That's, That's not my mother at all. The truth. You know? um, but I also didn't want to like neglect, I don't want to neglect their experiences mm. either. But the fact is, I'm going to be like, hey, that's not true. As a mm. matter of fact, one of the reasons we're making this documentary is to show people who she really was and the importance of her life and her work yeah. and uh, what that meant to the world at a certain time. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of would do the same for anybody. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, we did have a recommendation here of a book from I don't I, I don't think this person wants us to say their name I know who it is I don't think we're supposed to say who it is. okay <laughs> but um they recommended a book I believe oh here it is it's uh called the Gnostic Paul and in their endorsement they said uh, here's a book that looks at how the non-pastoral Pauline epistles were interpreted by second century people that were considered to be Gnostics that I found very interesting mm. yeah I mean there is I mean I have a book called Paul the Traitor. And it's written from uh, a Judaistic idea. I've also have a book that's written from a Christian stance that thinks that Paul never changed his faith and came into Christianity to destroy it. Oh, interesting! As so, like a yeah. a, a Trojan. Yeah. So that Paul's all Paul's work was to destroy Christianity, interesting. including his he was message, a mole. including his messages of grace. Yeah. Including his grace. Yeah, even the, the grace thing was like he was taking it too far. Well, that's a pretty sweet destruction. I'll I'll take that any old day take that even further uh and then ray was saying after you answered his question said your answer just got better i'd like quote i'd like someone to do that for me that's it yeah mm-hmm. uh jim said deep love won't cancel um christy liked your statement that grace doesn't cancel out anyone yeah i think that that's a really good point about cancel culture because it just it limits grace at the end of the day right like yeah it's not saying to just blindly forgive and forget everyone, you know, like to take that policy and just be like, oh, you know, you're forgiven, it's fine. But, you know, you still hold people accountable. But you do it within a graceful way. Yes, and, right. And, you know, I mean, I, obviously the, the, the Bible is not an answer book yes. for everything. 
but it's got some good directions for how we can go about that. Amen. And, you know, Paul says when we restore people, we should do it gently and humbly. Yes. And also be careful not to fall into the same thing that they've fallen into, because he's actually, in that point, he's talking about restoring people from legalism. Mm. He's talking about restoring his enemies and saying it's easy to fall into legalism. So if you're helping someone get out of legalism, make sure you don't become legalistic yourself. Right. Wow. So legalistic about anti-legalism. <laughs> yeah. I don't wow, know how it works, but yeah, but it would be easy. You know, it's an easy thing because it makes sense. Mm. The reason the pastoral epistles have been so widely accepted for thousands of years is because they make sense. It brings order to chaos mm. and we don't like chaos as human beings. But when Christ is calling us and Paul is calling us to live in grace and to live with the lack and not try to fill that with all these other things, that's going to be a bit of a chaos. There's mm. going to be not just chaos, there's going to be a dialectic there. There is also going to be um, a, a lots of uh, contradictions there as yeah, well totally. that we have to go through. But um, and, and all those things are so vital and important if we know anything about like reading Hegel or reading psychoanalysis and things like that. Yeah. All those things are so important for us to live with, which is really interesting that that comes through the Bible. But the Bible wants to say, no, we're going to do an easy self-help. Right. Here's the rules and here's the regulations. So when you do look at something like the pastoral epistles, it's not strange to me that people go like, well, yeah, it's a rule book. Yeah, it's a direction. Yeah, mm. it tells me how to live. Yeah, our whole church. I mean, so many church systems are based on those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, would, oh, yes. I hope one day we can find out who wrote those books. But yeah. that's, you know, we'll have to call Indiana Jones, <laughs> see if he can come in and find the, the archaeologist. Dr. Jones. He's probably very old by now. <sighs> All right. Well, I'll stop talking about fictional characters. <laughs> Some of you think I've been talking about them the whole time. Hey. Hey. Um, but yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for today. My phone is battery is going low, so I should probably get off here. But um, I hope we can when we, we, we can all learn to, you know, learn from this, take Paul seriously and encourage each other to read Paul and um, maybe talk a little bit more openly about about, you know, not Paul, mm. you know. And talk a little bit more about using comfortable using the words forgeries, yeah, and having those tough decisions. I mean, who knows? Maybe someone will come along and prove us wrong. But until then, I think it's worth a pushback, and I think it would help a lot of people in the church uh, reclaim the message of grace that I think is really the power behind any church and behind and what separates Christianity's religion from other religions is this message of grace. And I guess that's why I, I subscribe to it. Besides the fact that I was raised in it, so who knows? Anyway. Love you all very much. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, you know, you can always go to the website and help support us because we can definitely use the support. That's what keeps us going and keeps this happening. And soon we'll be probably looking for an actual in-person location now that things are getting better. Love you guys. Bye-bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.